I'm Dylan Jones and you're watching Anything is Possible. I'm Patrick Sang, global citizen, investor. Join me as I talk with global influencers for their insight, wisdom, and how they overcame their own personal challenges. Sharing positivity, overcoming challenges, creating one world together. I'm Patrick Sang, anything is possible. Welcome everyone to another episode of Anything Is Possible. We have a very special guest. He's been the um, GQ Editor-in-Chief since 1999, also OBE in 2011, Mr. Dylan Jones. Dylan, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming. Good to see you. So Dylan, um, we've got a lot to go through because you've had a very distinguished career. Um, tell us about, I guess it's a boring question, COVID-19. How has that affected you and your business? It's been uh, schizophrenic like it has been for most businesses. Uh, parts of our business have been seriously challenged, um, but other parts have, have been really buoyant and, and some have accelerated. Uh, and I think that if you went into this period uh, with a very strong digital footprint and you were trading well uh, and you had a very keen idea, a uh, keen understanding of, of, of what you were doing and who your market was, um, as we did, um, uh, and you were doing things correctly, you would, have, you would have thrived. I mean, it's been tough, it's been really tough. But we have a 360 um, operation completely. We're, we're very deep into print, obviously. That's, our, that's the legacy part of our business. But f for years, for decades now, we've been in, um, very deep into events uh, and in digital. And our digital numbers are fantastic. Um, and we, last year we flipped all of our events into digital packages. And we were the only brand to do that, which I'm very proud of. Print re remains a challenge, but going forward, print is challenging. Understand. And obviously um, the show, we're trying to inspire young people. What kind of advice would you give young people maybe to go into publishing or fashion? Um, advice you would give them because of this, you know, COVID-19 pandemic? I think that what the pandemic has proved is that uh, people really trust brands they have strong relationships with. Um, and what you're going to see is you're going to see a return to people spending money with people they trust, whether that's a hotel, an airline, a website, a magazine, a clothing brand, a car company, a fund, whatever it is. But also, people are going to feel like they want to spend their money and they want to invest their time and their energies in new things. New things, something that's different, something that's exciting. Everything else in the middle is boring and dead. Mm. And I think it's as binary as that. And I think there are huge opportunities coming out of this. I think that you're going to see an enormous amount of creativity and I think you're going to see an enormous amount of entrepreneurialism and I think you're going to see those two things blending and particularly in places like um, definitely Lon London, I can see it in Los Angeles, maybe in H Hong Kong. I think there are very exciting things that are going to happen over the next couple of years. I understand. So let, let's talk about um, 
you know, you've had a distinguished career, as I said before, but let's talk about Dylan when you were younger. How was your childhood? My childhood was, was fine. It was, it was um, my father was in the Air Force, so we moved a lot around the world. Um, but I, I moved to London when I was 17, and I've pretty much been here all my life. And um, London was the city I wanted to come to more than any other, because uh, from a very young age, I was obsessed with the fast-moving notion of being in a culturally immersive city. And London remains that city. Sure, I agree with that. I think when I, I grew up in Belfast, as I think I told you, and uh, I, I always wanted to leave to get to Hong Kong, the bright lights, the big city, all that kind of stuff. I guess it's a little bit similar, but always great to go back to you know, where you come from. Um, what about arts? How did you, you know, when did you first um, develop the, you know, your, your passion, love for journalism, publishing, arts? Uh, probably quite young. Um, probably like most people, when I became a teenager, sort of 12, 13, and you start becoming interested in music and fashion and uh, pop culture and things out of the sort of education remit. And for me, journalism was part of that, uh, being inspired by the likes of Andy Warhol, Andy Warhol's interview, uh, and the NME, um, and uh, people like Tom Wolfe. So yeah, I was, so as well as being inspired by pop groups and, and film stars, um, or po possibly politicians, I think that, mm -hmm. um, uh, at that very impressionable age, I also became very interested in journalism. Understand. And what about family pressures? Did your parents give you any pressures uh, in terms of, you know, what they wanted you to become? And yeah, I was meant to be a fighter pilot, but uh, that that was never <laughs> going to happen. Okay. And then, um, was it a easy thing in your family to to do what you you know how you pursued your career? Um, no, I. But I think when you're a headstrong teenager, you pursue what you want to pursue. Sure. Uh, and I did that almost at the, at the expense of everything else. And I did have, even though I didn't come from a particularly um, elevated background, and even though I wasn't pursuing things particularly with any great aim in mind, I had a kind of inner confidence that what I was going to do was going to work out. And I think that if you have a creative bent, I. I think that's something that, that sits with you, and you kind of need that in a way. It's a, it's a weird kind of arrogance based on nothing at all. Um, but it stood me in good stead, I think. Great, I'd like to develop a little bit on that point. So I also agree with that. I, I also have this belief inside without any kind of like backing or logic, as in I want to get this thing done from a young age. And for some of the younger viewers who are trying to you know, become an entrepreneur or do something big or want to, you know, become a fashion designer. Um, are there any tips of people who are not as confident or without that inner confidence? I mean, what, what kind of um, practical advice would you give these people? Well, you need drive and you need to develop drive. We, we have tried over the years to have as many people in to do internships or work placement, or just young people we get into the organization, um, not just because they're cheap labor, um, in fact, not at all because they're cheap labor, but because it's a good thing. It, you're kind of reaching out to young people. Um, 
and that that process for our kind of world doesn't really exist anymore um, because people used to come in either through uh, through sort of bursaries um, or uh, trusts things like that um, but there really isn't that kind of system set up so unless you can afford to or you have rich parents it's very difficult to kind of get a one foot on the ladder so anyway so we have um, um, uh, we have a, a, um, a lot of people who come through the system and occasionally they're sort of brave enough to come into the office to have a chat you know because they're kids they're sort of like 17 18 19 year old and I said you need two things to get on the first thing is when you're here, you need to work really hard. Just volunteer like crazy. Stick your hand up for everything and just get involved. Because I'm not looking for someone to have a great idea. I'm not looking for someone to say, oh, why, don't we, why don't you do it this way? I've got no interest in that. What I'm looking for is someone who can make something happen. So if you ask somebody to do something and they make it happen, they're gonna be given more responsibilities. And if you can make it in our office, you can make it in most offices unless you need expertise, you know, in medicine or l legal or finance. But, you, you know, all people want are people who can make things happen. Sure. Second thing is you need to be lucky. And we can teach you the first, but we can't teach you the second. And I truly, I, I, I believe that. I think you can kind of make your own luck to a certain extent um, just by being enthusiastic and being really busy and just getting involved. But you do have to kind of make your own luck. I agree. So the takeaway from, from that, Dylan, is that, you know, work hard in, you know, in like the working culture and finance in Asia in general is, it's not even the requirement. It's, a it's like breathing. If you don't work hard, you don't get anywhere. But working hard doesn't guarantee you success. It's just a basic thing. It's just like eating food. We have to do it, right? And I totally agree with you. Talking about luck, what, what, what's your view on luck? Do you believe in luck? Yeah, I do. I think there are lucky people and there are unlucky people. But I think to a certain extent, you, if you, you can steer your luck. But you have to be bright. Um, I mean, unless you're smart enough to make it happen, it ain't going to happen. Sure, I understand. I think, you know, my, my view is you're very similar to yours. Is that I think there's two types of luck. One type of luck is you can't control who your parents are. You can't control where you were born. So there's certain factors in life, fate, destiny, whatever you want to call it, is something that you can't control. And then the other stuff, which is what you're talking about, is like, if I'm in the office and old Dylan sees is Patrick, every time the first guy he's going to call is Patrick. And that's where your opportunities come from. However, I think that the, the, the caveat to that is that I think if you're a creative person, and being a creative person these days means many more things uh, than, it, than it did even five years ago. Sure. Um, and I don't think being a creative person uh, is, is as siloed as it perhaps once was. But I do think that, because a lot of people who would call themselves creatives are creatives because they are driven to do a certain thing. Not always to be successful. And actually, I've always been a huge fan of really, 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 really talented people who aren't necessarily ambitious. 
And in these days, that's, it's sort of frowned upon because people think, well, if you're so damn good, why aren't you successful? But actually, I don't think people have to be successful. That's not always the measure. I agree. It's not always a measure. It can be, and people are encouraged to be, it's, it, particularly in the art world now. It's like, well, how ca you, can, you say you're a great artist, but you don't sell. You're not, you know, you're not making a lot of money at auction. People don't collect you. You're a bit weird. Hmm. You know, but that, there is, a, you know, there is room for that, and that's vital, because if you lose that, then we are a culture that's driven by algorithms. Sure, I agree. So moving on your earlier part of your career, you started off, I think, at ID Magazine. Tell us about the experience there when you were just new to the industry. Fantastic. Best thing, best thing in the world. I, I mean, I, I started out completely by chance. Um, and I started working for ID in 83. And it was the launch of style culture in, in the UK. You had the Face magazine, you had ID, you had Blitz, and you had Arena, and you had all of this crazy stuff going on. Mm. And I think that it's, it felt to us like our iteration of the swinging 60s, which was very similar to what happened in, in the 70s or in the 50s, any decade sort of post-war. Post because as well as being in journalism, as well as commenting upon the culture, we, we thought we were the culture. You know, we're young and arrogant and we're running around town going to nightclubs and, you know, dressing up in funny clothes and just having a, the best time. So we were incredibly headstrong and incredibly arrogant. But there, were, there was a, a, a part of what I say that was true. We did become the culture in a way. And you sort of started to define the culture, which is a really exciting place to be because you can champion people and ideas and you can see those come to fruition very very quickly and do you think that um like, like you say there's an evolution of decades and obviously with the uh ipads smartphones all this kind of stuff um how has that affected you know the current crop of young people in terms of culture creation it's it's, it, it, it's everything i mean you what you go outside this club and you look at and the number of people reading magazines and newspapers, and you count them. You can count them on the on the fingers of one hand. Who has a smartphone? Everybody. Sure. Everybody at the age of ten has a smartphone, right? But I think that one of the problems, one of the mistakes that I think the publishing in industry, what we think of as the publishing industry, made, was that they got hung up on delivery systems. It's like. At the moment, I, there is a, there is a reappreciation of expertise. And I think that we've been through such a period where there has been too much media. Everyone with a telephone is, is in media because it's social media. So much fake news, et cetera, et cetera. I think there's a real appreciation now for expertise. People are prepared to pay for subscriptions. People are prepared to pay for magazines and newspapers whose opinion they trust, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I mean, I still consume as much media as I did 20, 30 years ago. But a lot of it's on my iPad. I wake up every day at 6 a.m. and I read the newspapers on, on my iPad. And if you're a smart newspaper, you'll have encouraged me to pay for that. Um, if you haven't, I'll read it for free, which I still don't understand. I think that's, that's a crazy notion, but that's a, that's a very complex discussion. Sure, understand. 
And then um, what's like been the, the proudest story that, that you've told during this, uh, you know, your career? Um, well, that's a, that's a very big question, but I think that what I think I'm being, I've, I've, I am proudest of in, in the, is in the various places I've worked, not all of them, but in a lot of the places I've worked, I have managed to foster an environment where people can be creative. And I think that's really important. Understand. So Dylan, let's talk a little bit about GQ. Um, tell us about the journey from when you first started. What was the, you know, what what was what did you land in? What was your objective at the time? And the journey, like, as it, as it, as it evolved, and then, you know, where is it now? When I inherited GQ twenty years ago, it was a very, 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 very successful yuppie bible. And I make no apologies for that, and that's not a pejorative thing to say. It was a yuppie Bible, very good one, probably the best. But it wasn't renowned for its journalism. And that was my idea. I had one, one, one idea, big idea, small idea, same thing, make GQ renowned for its journalism. And that's what we did. I looked at the budget, and I worked out a way to run all the things that we were already running. Uh, and then we went out and we got the best journalists we could afford. And actually, we ended up paying premium rates. We, we paid more than most people in Fleet Street paid. So we achieved that, um, started breaking stories, started commissioning and publishing some amazing journalism. Uh, and then we set about creating a kind of ecosystem for the brand, building out. So we created the GQ Men of the Year Awards. We created GQ Heroes. We created food awards, car awards, Grooming Awards, we, we, we launched London Fashion Week. We did, 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 we did lots of things to make our brand seem like a really interesting, sexy, dynamic brand that you could not afford not to convene with. And that was our job. We were all about brand building. Understand. And then um, where did the idea of like London Fashion Week come from? Caroline Rush, who I know you know, who was and still is the, the CEO of the British Fashion Council, yeah. came to me one day and said, there isn't a men's fashion week in London. Shall we do it? And I said, yeah. And that's what we did. We did it. We did it together. And in the space of 18 months, we launched it. Uh, we got Prince Charles to launch it. We teased Burberry back from Milan. We got Tom Ford involved. We got Tommy Hilfiger. Uh, we got Paul Smith involved. And we turned it into a really big deal. It was a lot of work. Um, but it did work. And we, we are uh, enormously proud of that. Like all fashion weeks, it's had a, a challenging period. But it will bounce back. And it will bounce back in a major way. I agree. And um, big fan. Also, big shout out to Caroline for introducing us um, great work by, by both of you um, in terms of let's let's sell London a little bit here um, what what do we have in London that is you know unique and standing above our other counterparts you know in the fashion weeks well London Fashion Week will always be the most interesting fashion week in in the world just by dint of the constant regeneration of creativity that we have in this country some of them might not get any, make any money. Some of them might not go on to great international success, but lots of them do. There's something in the water in this country that produces generation after generation of young creative people. It doesn't matter whether they're fashion designers, musicians, artists, ballet dancers, graphic designers, 
nutcases, nightclub runners, whatever they are. There's something in the water in this country and it continues. It continues, it continues, and continues. And that's why London as a cultural centre will always be more interesting than Milan or Paris or New York. Paris is the most bourgeois city in the world. Milan is, it, it's fine, but it's kind of, it's where you go to eat. Uh, and New York is just boring. Um, it's all about London. Always has been, always will be. Okay, I agree with you. I think London for me is the greatest city in the sense that, you know, you can do business here, finance, art, music, culture, politics. Yeah. Like, for example, in America, you have to go Vegas to gamble, education in Boston, Wall Street in New York, tech in Silicon Valley. Yeah. It's all, you know, uh, spread out. But in London, we have everything here. I mean, New York used to be a great city. It used to be a really intoxicating city. It's not anymore. It hasn't been for quite some time. LA is quite interesting. In, in part, I like going to LA. I get inspired in LA. I don't get inspired in New York. Yeah. I think New York has also been hit very hard during this pandemic um, situation where a lot of the finance firms, they've all relocated to like Florida or... And all, and all the rich people have moved. Yes. You know, we did a big piece in GQ uh, last year. Where all, all the galleries, they're opening on Long Island, down in Miami, in Vegas, in, in LA. Um, and recently, I think that maybe this will be good for New York because I think it's become like escape from New York because all the rich people have moved out and they're too scared to go back that it's now a city being run by vagrants. Um, that could be exciting. That could be the best thing that's happened to New York in decades. It's a reboot. Yeah, exactly. Right. So Dylan, I understand that you're, 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 you have a new book coming out, Shiny and New. I do indeed, yeah. Can you tell us about it? Uh, I did a big book on the New Romantic period uh, called um, um, called Sweet Dreams that came out about nine months ago, which is about the early 80s. And um, Shiny and New, the new book, is basically taking every year of the decade of the 80s and using one record as a kind of encapsulation of that year. Um, so whether it's Madonna, whether it's Prince, whether it's The Smiths, whether it's New Order. And I talk about politics and I talk about sexual politics and I talk about AIDS and about money culture. Mm. Um, so it's using pop as a sort of prism through which to see the decade. Interesting, yeah. I just went back to Belfast uh, recently last week and um, I was using my record player. I haven't used one for, I don't know, 10, 15 years. It was great. It was like playing my old music, so I had Guns N' Roses and stuff. That was, that was quite uh, interesting. Mm -hmm. So um, learning from mistakes, uh, I think we talked offline earlier that, you know, I do, everyone's life is not perfect. We have ups and downs. Um, what's been the most significant setback for you? I've, I mean, there are lots of things that we've done that haven't worked. I think the, I think the most, I think the most helpful thing I can say is, in terms of learning from something, is that, and this is, a, this is a cliche, but it's a cliche because it's true, don't be afraid to make mistakes. And I see lots of the current generation, new generation, I, I, people I employ, people between the ages of, say, 20 and 25, they're scared to make mistakes. It's like, you know, I started off in this life making mistakes, you do a job, didn't work out, but you meet someone, that guy's interesting, I'm gonna go and do that for a week. 
I hate it, but I've met that person, I'm doing this. It's like, it's, have fun, go out there, you know, do stuff. People are very self-contained there. And I think that's, in, that's kind of driven by social media because you're sort of encouraged to have a perfect life. I don't know anyone with a perfect life, even really rich people, happy people. No one has a perfect life. And when you're young, you should be experimenting. You should be getting out there and doing crazy shit. Um, so um, I've done lots of things in my life and some of them have not worked out and some of them have been disastrous, whether that's in my career or um, in relationships. Or, I mean, just lots of stuff. But so what? I didn't die. That's, if I can pass anything on, that's the important thing. Go and experiment. It doesn't matter. Someone says, well, I don't really want that job. I said, so what? Go and do the job. You'll, you'll, you'll learn something from the fact that you don't like the job. And you might meet someone or you might see an opportunity to go and do something you really want to do. I see that a lot, and I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's, it's a terrible trait. Get out there and experiment. I agree. So the takeaway from that is the whole essence and spirit of anything is possible, which is you just have to go and try everything, try your best. If it doesn't work out, try something else until something works out, right? Yeah. So that's the whole essence of it. Can you give us an example of how you turned an example of you know, a negative situation into a positive one? Well, if I could talk about GQ, I think that there was, um, there was a period maybe 15 to 20 years ago when the men's magazine market in the UK was not only big, there was a lot of money in it, um, but it was quite ribald, it was quite sexual. And we were criticised a lot because we had sexual content. But that was the nature of the market. If we hadn't have had sexual content, we wouldn't have been in business and I would have been fired and I wouldn't have been able to build what I slash we built. Sure. But we turned it into a positive by making it something that everybody needed to do. So it's like, well, yes, we'd like to do that, but can, but can we do it in this way? It'll be fun. It's not going to be invasive, but it'll be different. We, need, we needed to build projects into which people could, um, could sit and feel comfortable and be successful. Because you can't do anything without a genuine partnership. And we made our world a good world to be in. It's like our GQ Men of the Year Awards, which is, apart from the BAFTAs and the Brits, it's the biggest award show in, in the country. It's the only, and also it's multidisciplinary. It's across everything from food to politics to entertainment, everything. Um, and whenever I said to someone, whether it was Prince Charles, David Beckham, whoever, Tom Cruise, this one, that one, Madonna, I said, look, all I care about is that when you're leaving the show or the after party, you're in your car, your limo with your bulletproof glass, and you turn to your girlfriend, wife, manager, mistress, I don't know, person who walks your dog, I want you to turn around and say, you know what, I'm glad we did that. It's all that matters. I win, you win. Understand. So I think in, in our line of business and in, in investment, it's all about alignment of interests, whether whatever you're doing in personal or, or in business. So Dylan, what, what do you need to have a winning mentality? It's a very interesting question. Uh, I think 
I think one of the things that's important is it, I, I think you need to know why you want to be successful. And I, this has arrived, and that answer has been arrived at through teaching people how to ask for things and teaching people how to negotiate and seeing how people respond to problems. And people will say, I think I'm going to do this. Okay. And, I, and I will say, great, you want to do that? That's, that's a perfectly acceptable response to the, to, the, to the problem that you've got. But just do me the favour, before you do that, ask yourself one question. What do you hope to achieve? That's all that matters. What do you hope to achieve? And if all you're doing is being angry, or if all you're doing is saying, no, it shouldn't be like this, it should be like that, that's not good enough. You've got to say, what do you want to achieve? How is your life and your project and your wherewithal going to be improved tomorrow or in a month's time or in a year's time? Just think about that. That's the that's a decision you need to make. And, that, and so you might decide that you really actually need to shout at this person, or you might need to just shut up. Dylan, we'll talk about something a bit more fun. Any books or movies that you've read or watched that have inspired you? I mean, I enjoy stuff as a, as a consumer. I, I tend to like the hoary old classics like The Godfather and The Sopranos, maybe because they're full of Machiavellian people. <laughs> I don't know. I think that people enjoy uh, big characters writ large because those characters perhaps do things that, that we would never do or that we'd like to, that we're too, uh, too afraid to. So I think those things are interesting. I understand. And um, let's talk about principles and ethics. What principles and ethics do you live by and how do you uphold them? That's a, that's a big question. That's a very big question. Um, I think like most people, I think, you know, be kind to people, protect your family, um, be as honest as you can be, work hard. Great. So what about um, religion and spirituality? Are you religious or spiritual in any way? I, I don't think I am, actually. Um, I'm certainly not religious. Am I spiritual? Mm, not yet. I think the closer we get to death, we probably become more spiritual. Okay, let me ask you another question. I'll rephrase it a little bit. I'm, I don't have any specific um, theory or um, principles in terms of energy, but I do believe there's energy in terms of positive energy. Mm. And you, know, you want to be near positive people people yeah. that are like-minded and if you're always you know if you if you are hanging out with five people and always oh you can't do this it's too expensive you can't do that or oh, we're too small for that and if you keep hearing this all the time subconsciously it's getting in your brain right yeah, and you know one thing that you just mentioned be kind you're being kind so that hopefully that behavior that energy can be passed on to other people that they will also be kinder and if everyone became kinder the world would be a better place. So what's your question? So is that connected to the spirituality? I don't know. I, mean, I, th I certainly think that if you're running an organization, regardless of how large it is, everything comes from the top. And if you see people, if you work with people and they've got shitty people, they're not shit, they, 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 they've been allowed to be shitty. And it's all very well saying, oh, well, yeah, they're surrounded by terrible people, but when you meet them, they're lovely. It's like, I don't buy that. I think if you have people around you, your gatekeepers, who are acting a particular way, they're encouraged to do that. 
And I, I can't be doing Life is too short to deal with people like that. If you have to, you have to. But I mean, it's, you're not going to come back for more. Totally agreed. Uh, and what about role model? Who's your role model? Uh, my role model is probably my first boss, who is a man called Terry Jones, who launched and then many years later sold ID magazine, who was an incredibly successful creative director uh, and set up on his own in 1980, invented something, was passionate ab about it, incredibly successful in a relatively specific field. Um, didn't get seduced by the big bad world, knew everyone, worked really hard, and concentrated as much on his family life as he did on his business life. And he is a, a genuinely happy person who has had an incredibly successful life. Understand, and let's talk about success. How do you personally define success? And what's your way of trying to achieve that success? I think I, uh, uh, my, I um, define success in the, in the same way that a lot of people do, which is by critical and commercial success. As simple as that. Sure, understand. And what about um, regrets? Do you have any big regrets? Um, I, I, I think everyone has regrets. Um, I don't have a fundamental regret yet. And I think if you can reach the end without having a fundamental regret, that's, that's, that's powerful, that's a good thing. I think we've all got regrets. We all turn left when we should have turned right, but I haven't yet done that in a major way. Understand. And I stress the word yet. Understand, never say never, right? <laughs> so um, is there a situation or a time where you wanted to give up and you decided not to? What led you to have that perseverance to go on and do that? Um, I have been in situations where the stress has been so bad that I have fleetingly thought, I just want to go now, go now, because this situation is too difficult. But you, you lie down, you have a, a, a glass of mint tea, and you think, actually, it's fine. Just carry on. I mean, you're lucky if you've got, uh, I hate that word partner, but if you've got a partner, someone that you can talk to, uh, and my wife is very good. She said, just calm down and look at it this way. Sure. And you should al always calm down and look at it another way because there's always another way of looking at it. Absolutely. And I think the advice of speaking to anyone and releasing that. Not anyone. Hmm. Someone. Someone important. Someone important in your life. I mean, obviously, you can't just talk to a random Joe on the street, right? Um, life ethos. What's your life ethos? Still? I, don't, I, I don't think I have one. Um, I think to be better, that sounds like a really pompous thing to say, but just be kind of be better at the things you do. And that's everything from personal relationships to execution of things that you do to maybe a, some kindness. And I think you, people, people mature, people age. And I think you can age in a you can, and it's not necessarily tied to, to commercial or, or financial success, but uh, in fact, it isn't. Um, but I think you can become a better person, and that does involve effort, I think. Always. I think uh, my personal uh, strategy is you have to have daily improvement. Daily? 
My goodness, yeah. you're a better man than me. It's not about better. I think it's just we just try to be the best of what we can. Um, legacy, how does Dylan want to be remembered? Oh, I'd like to be remembered as a, as a, um, uh, as, as, as a very good journalist and a, and a, um, a good a person who... Uh, I'm trying to think of something to say about my family. I mean, my family is in so important to me um, as someone who enjoyed a good family life, I suppose, and who sure. uh, was, was, was a good father. Um, that's good. The most, uh, in cooking, for example, usually the most difficult things to cook is the most simple things. And I think in life it's actually down to the most simple things. Sometimes we, not sometimes, most of the time we complicate matters. Well, I, I, I always say a similar thing to make it very prosaic. I say that to, to, to young journalists. I say it's, much, it's far more difficult to write a 50-word caption than it is to write a 5,000-word article. If you work really, 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 really hard, and I think that it, it, it is a craft, it isn't an art, you can make that 5,000 word art, you can make it sing. But you sit there and you make a 50 word caption sing. That's, it might not be more difficult, but it's certainly as difficult. Sure, I would, I would agree to that. Um, what's the next big thing for, for Dylan? Uh, well, that, hopefully there is one more big thing which I can't talk about. But in the meantime, um, you very kindly mentioned my book. I've got another couple of books coming out um, next year. I'm also doing some television programs for the BBC, which is a whole new world for me, which is fascinating. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, this sort of portfolio career that I've developed seems to be working so I'm, I'm kind of happy but um, yeah hope, hopefully there will be one more big thing. Great so um, Dylan um, we've reached the last question e every time on anything is possible podcast we share positivity overcome challenges and create one world together mm -hmm. the last question is always Dylan Jones please share with us your number one advice to our audience especially our younger viewers. Number one piece of advice think very very clearly about why you're making that decision and that decision is the decision that all of the people who are watching this know they they know they know what the decision is that they're trying to make but just think very very clearly about why you're making that decision great question dylan thank you for your time it's uh not long enough there's a lot of great wisdom um great stories that you're sharing and um, i hope you Wish you all the best for the next ventures and hopefully we can meet again and you can tell us more about the, the next few projects that you're involved with. Thank you. Great. It's been really good talking to you. Thank you, Dylan. Thank you.